I'm glad you're joining us on Radio Free Georgia's In Tune to Nature program. I'm host Carrie Freeman coming to you from Atlanta in June of 2021. And today we're gonna to be learning to appreciate an ecologically beneficial group of animals who are buzzing around us, but whom we mostly ignore, malign and swat away, and that is flies, of which there are many species and fun facts. Well, some facts are fun, some facts are gross, <laughs> some are impressive and some are unbelievable. Flies are the topic of a new book titled Superfly, The Unexpected Lives of the World's Most Successful Insects by biologist, author, and animal advocate, Dr. Jonathan Balcom. Today, we'll have him tell us about flies as pollinators of flowers and food crops and as waste disposers and recyclers. First, let me tell you about him. Jonathan Balcom was born in England, has lived in New Zealand, the United States, and now Canada. A biologist with a PhD in ethology, which is the study of animal behavior, he's the author of four popular science books on the inner lives of animals, including the best-selling book, What a Fish Knows. He has also published over 60 scientific papers and book chapters on animal behavior and animal protection, formerly department chair for animal studies with the Humane Society University and director of animal sentience with the Humane Society Institute for Science and Policy, he also edits scholarly journals and teaches university classes on animal sentience. His website is jonathanbalcom.com, and that his last name is spelled B-A-L-C-O-M-B-E. Um, it's jonathan-balcom.com. And Jonathan currently lives in Southern Ontario, where in his spare time, he says he enjoys biking, baking, birding, bock, and trying to understand the squirrels in his neighborhood, and presumably the, the flies and insects in his neighborhood. Welcome back to the In Tune to Nature show, Dr. Balcom. Great to be here, Carrie. Now, okay, in the earlier stages of writing this book, um, I know you had multiple titles. What were some of the alternative titles that you came up with when you're trying to interest people in the topic of flies? Yeah, the one I most liked was was uh, a phrase from a, a 1923 poem by a favorite poet of mine, D.H. Lawrence. The, the title of the poem is Mosquito, and there's a phrase in there, winged victory. And uh, somehow that phrase, those just those two words, just so encapsulate the sense that I get from mosquitoes that they're sort of cocky and they, that, that annoying whine that they make and their ability to pester us and maybe ruin a night's sleep, a tiny little creature. That's their so, victory over us. Yeah, exactly. So especially when they successfully scalp us and steal our blood, which they're incredibly good at doing. I mean, you got to figure being a mosquito is one of oh. the, a female mosquito has got to be one of the most dangerous job descriptions on earth. And yet how successful they oh, are. They're very successful when it comes to biting me. Like I'm amazed. They always go around the back of you, right? Like they know, yeah. like, I'm going to get them around the back. They yeah. just really know. Studies show that the, 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 the vehemence with which you swatted them actually can discourage them and they're more likely to go and try and feed elsewhere. So it does pay to wave your arms and, and make a fuss. Okay. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> well, and I was excited to see the final topic of your book, Superfly, because I think it's a really cool name. But also, I'm going to mention it because you, know, you and I are friends, and I remember us walking down a street years ago and looking at some shops that had men's clothing. And I, maybe the title of the shop, it was called Superfly or something, because I introduced you to the American slang term superfly, meaning someone who's really stylish and fashionable and cool. So I don't know if, if you remember... <laughs> remember that so when I saw the title of this book I was like yay superfly like how did that come to be the title 
Well, I wish I could claim credit for it. My publisher uh, suggests, ah, no, no, actually, they said they, they, we worked together, but I, I think I did actually come up with Superfly. Uh, and I and I wasn't even that familiar with the the pop the pop song by that title uh, from decades ago. Yeah. But uh, the the only difference being there's a space between super and fly in the title right. of the book. But but I it does have a nice look it yeah, up. <laughs> it does have a nice feel to it. And since a, a, a central theme of the book is as the as the subtitle uh, indicates, just how successful these creatures are. Um, they are really super because of their diversity, their abundance, and their entrepreneurship entrepreneurialism and just the incredible ways they have of, of adapting to a planet that often doesn't appreciate them being around. That's for sure. <laughs> now, can you clarify for us who you're talking about when you say flies? Like, because it's not every flying insect that falls right. into that scientific category. Yeah, that's a really important question to, to clarify. Flies are technically in the order Diptera. It's it's a group of insects, just as the wasps and the bees are another order, the beetles are another order, etc. Um, flies are, I argue in the book, and more than one entomologist who I spoke to in researching the book believe that they are the most abundant uh, order of animal order of creatures on earth. I mean, insects already are incredibly successful. 80% of all animal species on the planet, eight, eight out of 10 is an insect. Wow. Yeah. And uh, there's estimated to be about 1.4 billion insects per human and about 20 million flies per human at any one point. A lot of those flies are not actually flying. They're still in the larval stage, tucked away in rotting fruit or where, where have you, wherever. Uh, but uh, they're living and uh, you know, the lucky ones do become flies. As for diversity, about 160,000 described species. Uh, that's going up by about 1% every year. And the only thing holding that, that the increase in that number back is the number of entomologists studying flies. Because when people go into the tropics and they set up a trap and a net to catch in insects and they're looking at flies, almost all of those flies will be undescribed to science. So it's estimated there may be about five times as many kinds of flies as we've currently described, which would put them at more abundant than the next current leaders, which is beetles. Oh, wow. And I know like when you hear the term flies and people are like, I remember when you were saying you're writing your book about flies, we, I was like, okay, well, do bees count, do butterflies, right. moths, dragonflies, ladybugs, and none of those beloved insects <laughs> count like in, in the fly category. Right. Oh. I didn't clarify and I should uh, that, that diptera is Greek for diptera, two wings. And it's those two wings that distinguishes flies from all other flying insects. Uh, all others have four wings. The beetles have those those hard shell on the back, which is a modified wing. Uh, the flies have the two front wings and then the back wings a long, long time ago uh, morphed into uh, a, like a, a little baton twirler stick that, like structure called a halter, which helps with stabilizing flight apparently, and, among other things. And, but, and I want people to notice how beautiful most flies are. And that's something that you do mention. And I didn't know if, because again, we don't give them credit because they're not as um, maybe brilliant as a dragonfly or a butterfly, but was there, is there a certain species of fly that you particularly think is really beautiful? Ironically, one, one group of flies that has perhaps the, one of the least beautiful lifestyles that is feeding on dung and, uh, and rotting bodies, 
um, and doing a great job to clean those up, by the way, are the, the blowflies, what we yeah. what we uh, commonly call blowflies uh, with, with such lovable names like California vomitoria and California, <laughs> California morticia. Despite yeah. those names, you know, if you can put aside our prejudices and our associations with their lifestyle, they are exquisite creatures. I mean, needless to say, they're 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 symmetrical, but they have this this beautiful iridescent sheens of blues and golds and greens. Different species uh, in different light have different colors. While I was researching my book, I don't remember the name of this fly, but there was a new species discovered that had the most incredible celestial metallic blue uh, wow. like armor over its body, and just absolutely beautiful. If you can ignore how they make a living. Yeah. And I, in terms of the cutest flies, I want to nominate fruit flies because I've had a lot of them in my house lately because I started investing in some indoor tropical plants. <laughs> um, and I must admit the, the little fruit flies are really adorable because they look, because their wings make them look like a little heart. And I've, I've rescued many of them from glasses of water lately. Uh, but readers of your Superfly book will read a lot about fruit flies because unfortunately for the, for the fruit, fruit flies, they are used in a lot of laboratory experiments. So they get discussed a lot, you know, in the book. They do. They're they're inc incredibly important in, in genetics. I mean, uh, seven Nobel Prizes, including last year's for medicine, uh, have been awarded to research that, that relied very heavily on fruit flies. And um, the fact that they're, so the fact that they're studied a huge amount, there's more than 100,000 scientific papers that have been published on fruit fly research, and that those numbers are, are increasing all the time. Um, yeah, I, 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 they are really cute if you see them up close. And, and at a visit to a genetics lab in, in Georgia, I got to see them under a dissecting microscope. So you're looking at every detail and they're just beautiful little creatures, little jewels of life. And uh, I bought a papaya the other day that it was obviously closer to full ripeness than I realized. And I just discovered yesterday that the fruit flies were having parties on the, on the papaya. And so I have fruit flies in my apartment now and I will soon be, uh, soon be, um, making my humane trap which is very easy to do and taking them outside at the end of the day um, but there are other cute there's another cute fly that often occur, shows up in homes um, and that is drain flies or moth flies they actually mm -hmm. somehow manage to make a living in the in drains that receive soap and boiling hot water and all that then they you occasionally might see them uh, perched on your on the wall of your bathroom in the shower or what have you but they're very cute little also heart-shaped little flies Aww. Now, there's so many things we can talk about in this book in terms of flies as lovers, bloodsuckers, and crime detectives. But since this is a nature show, I wanted to ask you about some of the chapters in the book that help us appreciate the important and sometimes unknown role that so many fly species play in our ecosystem. So, um, so we can see them less selfishly, not just as personal annoyances, but as beneficial species. Um, let's start with you telling us just a little bit about their role as disposers of waste. Yeah, they do a really important job there. I mean, consider that uh, each one of us humans, and there's well over 7 billion of us now, produces about 20,000 pounds of poop in a, in a lifetime. That's that's the equivalent of three adult hippos in terms of weight. Um, if we didn't have flies, let's just say that the world would be a much fouler, more pestilential place. So, so while we kind of get grossed out by that association with flies that are attracted to and feed on and lay eggs on or lay directly live young, their larvae on uh, poop and decomposing bodies, the fact that they do that is very, very important ecologically. It, it makes things clean up sooner. It recycles waste back into food chains so that birds and fishes and other insects and other creatures can 
make a living by feeding on insects. Insects are incredibly important as members of food food chains as well as cleaning up messes. They uh, they're they're it's a little known benefit to them is that they're able to take in microorganisms that are uh, microbes that are unavailable really as, as as practical food for larger animals like vertebrates and then they convert it into 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 insect protein which is then available so they form a really critical uh, food web bridge between the microorganisms and the organisms higher up in the food chain the, the vertebrates for instance fishes birds mammals etc and you mentioned them also as like composters is that the same thing when you as like a waste or is that a different function? Well, it's a, it's a more specific kind of function. I mean, uh, the fact is that we we produce a lot of uh, plant material waste that that and you know in in good neighborhoods. Unfortunately, mine we we do have composting in Belleville, Ontario, where I live. But unfortunately, if you live in a condo as I do, you can't you're not allowed to you can't use the green bin program, ah. which is silly. But but uh, the the black soldier fly in particular is the is the world champion composter, incredibly efficient at converting uh, food waste into into protein or into into material in the in the form of, of fly maggots or flies that can become food to other creatures and help sustain them. And then that helps with the kinds of fertilizers that we would use to grow more food. Is that right? Like it, it's part of the composting process. That's right. It helps to process in, in addition to, to the, the fact that they eat it and then they become a more edible form of, of, of food in the food chain. They also do a very good job of converting uh, food scraps, which are not really directly usable into a usable um, fertilizer that can be put on on plants, of course, to grow to grow more plants. It's it's lovely, isn't it? How ecology is yeah. so efficient if you let it be. Yeah. And most of us don't realize that so many fly species are actually pollinators because we, we tend to only give bees credit for this <laughs> beneficial pollinator category. Um, but tell us about how flies are actually pretty prominent pollinators. Yeah, that, that lack of credit was very prominent when I went to Montreal during uh, the research on this book and visited the Montreal ex insect Insectarium. And uh, they had a, a nice exhibit in the, in the lobby of, this, of champion pollinators. And uh, I think there were something like 47 insects I counted that were pictured in that display. And not a single one was fly was a fly was a dipteran, That's ridiculous. Um, which is crazy because flies are ranked second only to bees as the champion pollinators. They do a huge job of pollinating, and they are the champion pollinators at harsher climates such as uh, high altitudes and high latitudes where uh, bees and wasps can't tolerate the cooler temperatures but flies uh, typical true to form being very adaptable they can tolerate that when you consider that 90 percent of the world's one a quarter million flowering flowering plants are pollinated by insects uh, and to the tune of um, over half a trillion dollars value to humans every year. I mean, I don't believe, and I don't think you do either. And don't we don't believe in measuring the worth of an animal according to its value, to direct value right. to humans. But nevertheless, uh, you know, dollar signs are, are meaningful, and and more than half a trillion dollars is pretty incredibly valuable. And as you mentioned earlier, or, or maybe we didn't mention it yet, uh, if you like chocolate, chocolate, then you can be yes. <laughs> the only known pollinator of the cocoa flower is a, a tiny little midge, which is loosely dubbed the chocolate midge. That alone, maybe that should have been on the front of your book. I mean, like seriously, it, that I don't think people know that if you like chocolate, which pretty much everyone does, you know, a particular fly is 
responsible for making that happen. Yeah, and I mean, a, you never a, hear about this. Yeah, and it's a very unspectacular, uncharismatic fly, a tiny little wispy little midge, but uh, it's co-evolved with cocoa and it has the body shape and the and the, the chemical sense to be attracted to the cocoa flower. And most cocoa flowers don't actually produce pods. So it takes a lot of midges entering a lot of little uh, cocoa flowers to to pr produce the, the, the materials that we are able to turn into chocolate. I also really enjoyed reading about the tight relationships between certain flies and certain orchids. Orchids are an incredibly diverse group, tens of thousands of species. And uh, a lot of them have co-evolved with different kinds of insects and, and most notably flies in many cases. And some of these orchids, they they lure in the insects, they give it uh, nice smells and or maybe even nasty smells to us, but but something that smells very attractive to a fly. And then the, the orchid will trap the fly sometimes for, for a, an hour or more and slap it around a little bit and eventually stamp it with a with a with a pollinarium, which is a pollen bearing structure uh, somewhere on the head or the shoulder of the fly. And usually the location is very specific to the species so that when that fly flies away, if he or she goes to it because the plant eventually lets the fly go. And then uh, after being prisoner and uh, then if it goes to the right, it needs to go to the right species to be a useful pollinator. And obviously yeah. the flies game and willing to do that for some reason. So they do that. So it's a very, there's some very uh, intricate relationships between these, these orchids and the particular flies that they've co-evolved with. It's really, it's amazing to read about. If you're just joining us on Radio Free Georgia, this is In Tune to Nature, and I'm host Carrie Freeman, interviewing biologist, author, and animal advocate, Dr. Jonathan Balcom. We're talking about his latest interesting scientific book, Superfly, The Unexpected Lives of the World's Most Successful Insects, published by Penguin Press in 2021. Um, Humans naturally don't want to be bitten by the fly species who eat our blood, but there is a theory that you briefly mentioned in the book that in some cases, the heavy presence of these blood suckers can be a deterrent to humans being in a certain ecosystem. So it keeps us from destroying the ecosystem like the, the tsetse fly, I think, was one that you mentioned. Yeah, we have to realize, uh, you know, the numbers of humans we have on the earth already, uh, and given that we're big consuming uh, mammals, is problematic. And little wonder that we're seeing biodiversity loss and habitat loss and, and climate change. I mean, these are all the, the trappings of a species that has kind of run rampant. Uh, so, yeah, that you mentioned that the tsetse fly is, an, is a good example of a species of biting fly that also, being a tropical fly, um, can be a vector, can carry. Uh, diseases that are dangerous to us. Um, in, in their case, it's not malaria. Uh, I don't remember that. I think it's sleeping sickness is the main one that mm. the tsetse fly carries. And these are quite big flies with, with impressive uh, biting biting mouth parts. And uh, I've never been, I've never encountered or been bitten by a, a tsetse. I'm not sure it's something I'd, I'd want to happen. But uh, the fact that they are associated with dangerous diseases, in addition to the fact that the bite is probably quite painful, has kept people, uh, humans, from uh, from sort of colonizing certain areas. The Okavango Delta in southern southern Africa is a is a prime example. It's a beautiful uh, natural area with lots of species diversity, and that would be lost, of course, if humans moved in. So whether that phenomenon uh, being a deterrent, flies being a deterrent to humans coming in and running rampant over what used to be pristine habitats. Uh, I don't know, but I imagine there are many other examples than that. Yeah, I, but I'm thinking like for industrialized nations that we like to use chemical insecticides, so it seems like nothing's going to stop us from living wherever we want to live or developing some area because 
we try to dominate or subdue nature rather than follow its guidance. Like I remember living in South Florida uh, in Fort Myers that you'd go to vote and you'd have to vote for some guy to be mosquito control director or something. So I mean like, oh, which guy am I gonna um, vote for to spray chemicals all over uh, my city? You know? in, indeed, yeah, it's a, real, it's a real problem. In the last 30 years, we spent billions of dollars to kill insects and mere pennies to preserve them. And uh, studies all over the planet, particularly Europe, find that uh, insect numbers are down about half since 1980 wow. and uh, pesticides are a major leading culprit in that in that trend just the just me back back to my uh, condo situation you know where i live in belleville there's just a routine uh, prophylactic kind of spraying that's done once a year i'm i'm working on trying to stop that and it's just ridiculous that um that it's sort of automatic and, and you, yeah. you you Google some kind of insect in your yard, you know, and the first thing you see is it's almost all pest control companies that are right. that are talking about how in, in a negative context. We, yeah, we it's all like, how can positive. you get rid of them with chemicals? Yes. Yeah. yes, they need to be so much more positive PR. It's so ironic, given that flies would continue to thrive. There'd be a few disappointed species if humans disappeared, but flies would continue to thrive without us. But the, the opposite is not true. Uh, global ecosystems would utterly collapse and we'd go down with them if if we didn't have flies. And, and so in knowing all this, how can listeners be more cooperative eco-citizens and actually help flies? Well, we need more nature reserves. Yeah. We need to get off our pesticide habit, you know, uh, particularly the more harmful ones, the broad spectrum pesticides that kill not just the target species, but also other species that come into contact. And of course, as Rachel Carson uh, alerted to us back in, you know, more than 50 years ago, those pesticides, some of them are persistent in, in, mm. the, in the ecosystem and the food chain and they move up and they, they can poison birds and fishes and other, and other animals. Another thing that wouldn't hurt is getting off our lawn, our love of lawns, you know, pristine lawns with no flowers. I always get a smile when I when I cycle by lawns that are covered right now with bindweed, which is a beautiful little relative of the morning glory flower. And it's like I, I say to myself, it looks like that person's not putting poisons on their yard. Uh, there have been some restrictions in Ontario on, on using lawn pesticides, and I believe there are some restrictions on the use of that horrible pesticide uh, or herbicide roundup right. but um nevertheless this is so common you go into 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 these stores and see the racks and racks of uh, various chemicals designed to kill plants unwanted plants which are usually called weeds which usually means native plants which are exactly the ones <laughs> yeah. we want to have <laughs> like maybe and we then, should get rid of the word weed and get rid of the word pest Absolutely. Yeah. I, I I put the word in, in, in quotation marks, pest in my book, because yeah. it's very anthropocentric. It's it's the, in the human context and many other animals would regard them as a boon, not a pest. Right. Well, we have to wrap up, but I wanted to just add one more thing quickly. What I know that you're not into swatting and, and killing flies and, and I'm not into unnecessary killing either. How do you recommend people get flies out of their houses or protect themselves from getting bitten without using toxins? Well, just to qualify, I mean, my rule of thumb is if a fly is after my blood and has demonstrated that, then they're fair game. But uh, yeah, I try to I try to give them a second chance. And if they're in my house, that my my, my first priority is, as, as you mentioned, is, is getting them out and, and letting them out. And yeah. so uh, I keep a, a clear plastic container and a, and a firm piece of card cardboard that I've cut out um, yeah. that's very easy to slide under the container if the fly or the insect is on a window. And then uh, I just 
take it downstairs. And, and I love doing that. It makes me yeah, feel good. Yeah. It, when I let that little creature go, I, I feel like I'm, I'm liberating a little piece of my soul. Yeah, that's nice. I, I try to do that too, because they're just trying to live, right? <laughs> and so they can live outside and not in, in your house, but yeah. Yeah, a little um, more live, live and let live it goes a long way. That's right. Well, I like how you share your sensitivity for animals, you know, in, in your books, which I think is awesome. Well, um, Dr. Balcom, if listeners are interested in staying in touch with you and your interesting observations about the natural world, how can they do that? Well, you mentioned my my website. They can also find me on on uh, on Facebook and Twitter. I haven't been very active on Twitter until recently. I'm trying to be a little more active, but I have a, a homepage, but also an author page on on Facebook. So those are the best places to okay. find me. Online. And his website is jonathan balcombecom Last name spelled B A L C O M B E. That's B as in bumblebee, not to be confused with pollinating drone flies that look a lot like bees, which I learned from his book. Okay, well, that's the end of our show, but I want to thank you, Jonathan Balcom, for being with us on Radio Free Georgia's In Tune to Nature program. And thank you for continuing to show us what is amazing and admirable about so many species of animals, like fish, flies, and farmed animals whose depth and complexity we often dismiss and underestimate it. It helps us be more appreciative and humble humans, I think. Thanks for having me, Carrie. Yeah. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to In Tune to Nature, broadcasting every Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time, online at wrfg.org and on Atlanta radio station 89.3 FM. We post action items, news, and podcasts on the show's website, facebook.com backslash Nature. The views and opinions expressed on the show do not necessarily reflect those of WRFG, its board, staff, or volunteers. I'm one of those volunteers. I'm host Carrie Freeman asking you to please support independent, non-commercial media like Radio Free Georgia. And remember to take care of yourself and others, including other species. Thank you for listening. Cheers.